I met my best friend Anne in 1985. And the Babysitter's Club kept her friendship alive. Then Emily was born in 1988. And she said, Thanks, Aunt Esme. These books are great. Now we're all grown up and we're living our dreams. As a writer and a scholar and an expert on teens. And we're gonna start again from the very first book because we're stuck. Welcome to Stuck in Stony Brook, a podcast about the Babysitter's Club. Today we're discussing book 33, Claudia and the Great Search. Is it really a great search? I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) I'm so predictable. Well, I I think like there's a correlation between the books that are not aptly titled and the books that we don't love. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, there were some very bright spots in this book for me. I thought there were lots of nice moments. This is no Jesse and the super brat. Yeah, sure. Well, why don't we do our one sentence summaries? Mine is Janine wins a community college excellence award of some kind, which sends Claudia into a tailspin shame spiral (laughs) fantastic uh mine is claudia grapples with her identity in several ways and also works wonders with emily michelle Hmm. that's actually a very good summary thank you (laughs) mine will not be a very good summary okay mine is uh claudia searches for identity which is uh disappointingly has nothing to do with skiing (laughs) where is the skiing in this book oh my god yeah she totally could have been like why is no one else in my family a good skier and i am like this is another clue that i'm adopted wait and i wow okay i totally missed that there was no skiing in this book i know (laughs) this is deeply upsetting to me (laughs) we should probably back up and tell you about the members of the podcast I'm Esme Schaller, an adolescent psychologist. I'm kind of bossy, but I have a big heart. I'm Anna Chikala, a freelance writer. I'm a mischievous pragmatist with a sweet tooth. And I'm Emily Crandall, a feminist scholar. I'm a total individual and I like health food. <laughs> Still can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> At least you're becoming less bitchy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dawn does not suck so bad in this book. No, she doesn't. For now. For now. It's true. So if you guys want to learn more about us and how we know each other, check out our prologue episode. Also, rate and review us. It really helps people find the podcast. And if you have any questions, comments, or commentary about anything BSC related, drop us a line at stuckinstonybrook at gmail.com. Um, oh, we have a BSC Big Five today. Hell yeah. Haven't done one of these in a while. Yeah. Um, so our devoted listener for today, who we are going to diagnose <laughs> just kidding uh what what's the appropriate verb to use there uh assess assess okay we're going to assess uh is melissa judge judge <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. V- voraciously pick apart and <laughs> yeah. yeah should we should we remind people because we haven't done one in a while should we remind people what the bsc big five is um you're gonna have to do that okay fair enough so um <laughs> we Early on in the podcast, uh, Anne and Emily were asking me lots of questions about personality assessment. And there's um, a lot of things out there that don't have a lot of data and are not based so much in psychological science. Looking at you, Myers-Briggs. I know it's fun, everyone. Don't get mad. Um, But it's not scientific. One that does have data is called the Big Five. um, And it 
measures your um, the degree to which you have five different characteristics, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion, neuroticism, um, and agreeableness. So we decided to create a BSC Big Five, and people have been sending us in information, and we've been saying what percent they are of each sitter. So this is from Melissa. Melissa has been very patient. She emailed us way back in the summertime, and we're backlogged on these. So I hope she's still interested. (laughs) The thing that I read was not an article. It was a tweet. (laughs) And the the tweet said, Myers-Briggs creator, white supremacists, love languages creator, Christian homophobe. And then the commentary that the tweet offers on this phenomena is, turns out trying to reduce the world to easily labelable boxes is a regressive conservative idea. Who knew? (laughs) Right. It's interesting. I I don't know. There's a great book about them called The Personality Brokers about the mother and daughter who made up the Myers-Briggs in whole cloth in their kitchen. Um, I'm sure they were pretty racist just because of the time period, but they weren't active white supremacists. But it's a good book. I'll I'll throw it up on our bookshop, bookshop.org slash shop slash Stuck in Stony Brook. Anyway, let's get back to Melissa. (laughs) She said Stuck in Stony Brook. (laughs) Stuck in Stony Brook. It's my okay. Sean Connery. It's <laughs> <laughs> very good. Uh, okay, Melissa, her relationship to school then was a miserable eighth grader, the new girl, 1999-2000-ish, also overweight with glasses and braces, total basket case, undiagnosed depression and anxiety, not happy. Now oh. I possess a BA in English, graduated 11 years ago. Happy now. <laughs> Great. Excellent. I'm glad to hear it, Melissa. Um Leader a follower, then neither really didn't fit in and kept to myself. Now leader inspired by RBG and AOC, that's Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, ally, activist, animal rescuer, etc. Fashion and style, then 90s grunge, the bigger the better. Excellent. I either looked like Kurt Cobain or Darla. (laughs) Yes, I had the boots. Daria. Daria, sorry. That's what I meant to say. My brain is not functioning today. Now, Lumberjill Chic, Vintage Stuff, The Gap. What's MK? I don't know. Anne? I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Okay. Oh, Michael Kors? Um, I don't know. Comfy but put together. Still like guys' clothes, which my husband makes fun of. Nice. When you got your period, then eighth grade. Such a great year with an emoji that I maybe is sarcasm. I don't know. What's that? Yeah. Happy face. No, it's a, it's a tongue sticking out face. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, blah, feels like every other week. (laughs) Ready for menopause. (laughs) Fantastic. Oh, man. Uh, Romantic history. Then, for the most part, boys basically ignored me. If they weren't, they were telling me how ugly I was. Yikes, boys suck. Boo. Um, I mean, you could have been dating a Logan who is nice but gaslighting you, so... That's true. Bullet dodge. Probably better to be single. (laughs) Yeah. Now, married to husband Chris... With eight pets and no kids by choice. Oh my gosh. I need to know what all these pets are. That's like the opposite of like the, of the Anna Martin book, isn't it? Yeah. Like, ten kids, no pets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> eight pets, no kids. Yeah. I also am and like, they're like the real life Mancusis, but they just don't have as met. They're not yet at the 27 now. Not quite. Almost. <laughs> um and then the last category, hobbies, then complaining, hiding, dreading. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Such great middle school hobbies. Uh, now, yeah. complaining about the administration, art, reading, Again, activism. This was prior to the election when we got oh, this. Oh. So. 
animal rescue, working on my house, finishing up my BSC collection, one Jesse doll and one Stacy mystery book to go. And it's complete. Awesome. Very impressive. And what's your first pass? Yeah, I feel like I I relate to her then a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like like there's some Mallory, Mm -hmm. uh, like the angsty part. Mm -hmm. Um, She really likes animals. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like Mallory would also like grow out of that angst. I think that's her trajectory, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm going to get a BA Mm -hmm. in English and turn my angst toward Mm -hmm. like outward to the world rather than inward to myself. (laughs) I feel like that's a very Mm -hmm. Mallory trajectory. Mm-hmm. I feel like Mallory was definitely goth in high school. Yeah, I could see that. Um, well, both Christy and Marianne really love animals too. Mm-hmm. So I feel like there's some who and Marianne some stuff there. Christy. Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel um, like she's very Christy now. Yeah. Well, all the fashion stuff feels very, very Christy to me. I think that's right. What about the period? Oh, right in the middle, huh? Yeah. So Dawn. <laughs> mm. So. The period is some dawn. I also feel like the activism, animal rescue stuff is also dawn, right? Yeah, for sure. Not getting much Claudia or Stacy. Yeah. No. Yeah. I don't see any. No, no skiing. No skiing. No oh. diabetes. So. No. Art, art is listed as a hobby now. That's true, but it, it would have been then, I think, for it to, would need to have been then for it to be a true a true Claudia. Interesting. Okay. Affinity, don't you think? Okay. What do you, who do you think likes to work on their house? Mm. Does that mean like like home repairs or does it mean like design? Yeah, I feel like it could be both. I, I was going to say Dawn and then I realized I was projecting because that's something <laughs> I like to do. <laughs> uh, so this, this may not seem obvious right away, but I'm thinking Marianne um, mm. because I think she really likes her like little shell to be the way she likes it and she's also like likes to know how to do things you know like she she knits and does needlework like i think she would like like to teach herself a thing and feel accomplished that she did it on her own yeah so like like roofing yeah like roofing okay or painting or (laughs) yeah okay so we got we have strong christy mal light Mm -hmm. dawn Light Marianne, not much Claudia, not much Stacy. Are we separating out yeah. Mal and Jesse now? We still haven't really been able to, unfortunately. But I feel like we're the as this if we're like Mal one rendering mm-hmm. the malness of it all, like mm-hmm. in relationship to kind of anxiety and feeling out of place. Is that mm-hmm. a Mal Jesse trait or is that like a Mal trait? I feel like aside from being kind Racism. of alienated from being the only black family. Uh, otherwise, Jesse doesn't suffer as much from that as Mal does. Mm-hmm. That's fair. She has this big structural way in which she feels out of place, but that's not actually her temperament or how she is individually. Yeah. And she doesn't, she's yeah. like, to me, not as, as anxious as Mal is. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's true. So are we separating them today? We think that Melissa is... Very Mal and not very Jesse. Yeah, I think so. And your thoughts? We have to. This has to be unanimous. Well, yeah, I think so because I, I felt a strong Mal vibe, but no, no Jesse. Okay, this is a big day, you guys. <laughs> because I have to do over the graph. Yeah, it won't be that hard. You just have to add one more thing. Oh my God, Anne. 
<laughs> we still owe we still owe Michelle from like two months ago a graph, so we'll we'll do them both this this week. Whoops, sorry, Michelle. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay, so zero Jesse, zero Stacy. Mm-hmm. Are we giving her like three percent Claudia because she likes art now? Sure. And then what, like eighty Mal? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How much, Christy? Seventy. Okay. What were you going to say, Anne? Sixty-nine. I was going to say like, wait, what did you say? Sixty-nine. <laughs> yes, I was like sixty-nine. All of them sixty-nine. <laughs> so she's four twenty, Mallory. Like, <laughs> yeah. When Micah has an opportunity and he, he gets a bill and he's able to make it sixty-nine, sixty-nine with the tip, he does it. Classic. Okay, what were you actually going to say for how much Christy Melissa is? I was going to say like 65. Okay. But if so we average we... 65 and 70, it's almost 69. I'm I think you should 69. Okay. How about Dawn? I think Dawn, uh, Dawn and Marianne are still pretty high, though. I feel like maybe 50 for each of them, 55? Mm, I don't know, 69? <laughs> 52. Okay, for both? Okay, beautiful. 80 Mal, 69 Christy, 52 Dawn, 52 Marianne, 3 Claudia. No Jesse or Stacy, but secretly sixty nine of everyone. <laughs> hey, you guys! Thanks for playing she's Melissa. No, she's no Jesse or Stacy, and she's also missing a Jesse doll and a Stacy mystery book. Oh, Ooh. weird! The universe is keeping them from her. Hopefully, hopefully she's done by now. Hopefully, the rest of the pandemic, eBay was kind to her. Let us know if you finished up your collection, Melissa. Please do. All right, as okay. I feel like this is a very Esme book. Mm-hmm. Um, with not a lot of pop culture and not a lot of like structural, sociological, political themes. So I'll try not to go on too long, but I, should we, t- do you, do you want to just, the two of you just want to summarize the plot really quick? We haven't really talked about it much beyond the one sentence summary. I mean, and... I think our one sentence summaries were pretty good. So <laughs> Claudia is jealous because she needs to getting a lot of attention for her academic excellence. If she wins that award and this like, you know, sends Claudia and spinning out into wondering why she doesn't she's so different and she feels like she's not like the rest of her family so of course she jumps to the conclusion that she's adopted makes sense (laughs) and just made the biggest what the fuck face right so a lot of the book is her figuring out like it's a mystery to solve she's adopted or not and then the B plot is she's also um, became a tutor for Emily uh, because Emily's having some, I guess, like learning, like slow learning development. Yeah, I would say a developmental delay is mm-hmm. secondary to her transcontinental adoption. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Claudia tutors her and she kind of gets some confidence from doing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I I actually really liked this book. At At first, I didn't. So I, I can see why the two of you were like, mm, I don't know about this book <laughs> from the beginning. But I think that uh, the way that adoption plot is introduced is a little clunky, but I do think that it's a really nice vehicle to express what so many people feel in middle school, which is I don't I don't belong here, you know, um, whether it's in your family or in your school or in your town or, or whatever it is. Um, and so I think that using that as a vehicle for Claudia to explore this kind of questioning of, of who she is that we've seen 
foreshadowed in all of the other Claudia books when she's not in the middle of a medical disaster. Um, <laughs> this like not fitting in um, and feeling like the the square peg in her family and not understanding why she's so different from everyone. Um, so, you know, hanging on to an adoption as a potential way to explain that totally made sense to me. Um, and, and this is really the job of any 13 year old, you know, like the, the big, we talk about developmental tasks across the lifespan, right? So, you know, the developmental task of preschool is becoming more independent and being able to do some things on your own without the aid, the constant aid of a parent, you know, and the, um, but the developmental task of adolescence is really identity development and figuring out who you are in the world and the kind of person you're going to be. And so we see her sort of struggling with this and trying to define it and um, jumping on this sort of clean explanation instead of, you know, because the truth is more complicated, right? That like biology doesn't determine who we are and many people don't fit in with their family and grow up in an environment that does not necessarily validate their sort of core being for me, a particularly heartbreaking little scene was when she put a bunch of time in to make this salad for her family when she was helping with dinner. And she was like really proud of it that she made like little radish roses and like made this really artistic, beautiful salad. And then her dad's like, Oh, you made a celebratory salad for Janine because she won her award. And like Claudia just doesn't feel seen at all. Like they, they see like this, um, you know, support for her sister, but don't see the art for itself and that she spent this time on it. So that, that I thought was a really nice little vignette that sort of showed how, how different she is and how she just feels disconnected. Are you and I think the appeal, not right now, but I did let <laughs> that scene in the book. <laughs> but I think the appeal of like a clean explanation, oh, this is because I'm adopted, is really strong Mm -hmm. and i think this this is a common this is a common thing that kids entertain Mm -hmm. did either of you ever think or think that you were adopted i mean no no (laughs) exactly like every single person i'm related to including (laughs) you so i don't like it's like (laughs) it's true no one related to us could possibly think they were adopted (laughs) damn grandma lexi's mouth i know (laughs) We all have it. It is yeah. weird. Listeners, everyone has the same mouth in their family. <laughs> Figuratively and literally. Yeah. <laughs> um, but question, do you think this like adoption kind of fantasy thing happens at a younger age or would it happen at like when you're a teenager? Um, I think it would often happen like during middle school, during this exact age, because it's when you're starting to question who you are. It's like when you're doing those building blocks of development and figuring out who you're going to be in the world. And so it's sort of a perfect time. I think it wouldn't, it would be less likely to happen at like 16, Mm -hmm. right? But, But even though Claudia is quote unquote sophisticated, she's also a young 13 in some other ways, you know, um, in terms of kind of how she relates to the world more broadly do you is this still like a common trope i mean like i know it was it's like a um 
like a popular cultural artifact in a sense, right? It's like a plot often between siblings where like there's one sibling that everybody teases for being adopted and that kind of thing. But I wonder whether that's still Mm -hmm. as prominent because I think one of the things that struck, struck me about Claudia's like the way she feels affinity with Emily Michelle is also by way of differentiating like her adoptive situation from Emily Michelle's right. Emily, she's like, Emily, Michelle, mm-hmm. you're lucky. You're growing up with parents who are telling you that you're adopted. And the, the shitty thing about my situation is that I've I'm adopted, but I don't, my parents lied to me about it. And I wonder whether that's mm-hmm. still a common thing, like whether adoption, whether like practices or patterns of adoption have changed or like been no- normalized or whether there's like that, that, like still kind of fear mm-hmm. around the secrecy of it all. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, right. this is like 30 years like, are ago. There still clo- are there still closed adoptions at all? Yeah. 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 So I think, so yes and no. So I think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right that, you know, and if you go 30 years before this, you know, the absolute wisdom and standard was that all adoptions should be closed you should never tell a kid that they're adopted. There were very few transracial adoptions for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and families were sort of left on their own if they did adopt a child internationally or adopt a child locally of a different race because it was such an unusual thing that there wasn't really professional guidance to tell them how to manage that. Um, we, thankfully, we are in a very different situation um, where transracial and transnational adoption are much more common and there are support groups to help people with, you know, if this was now, the uh, the Thomas Brewers would be connected to a Vietnamese cultural group and talking with them about mm-hmm. how to help Emily understand her origins and her own personal cultural history, even though she doesn't share it with the Thomas Brewers, you know, and, and probably connected to a network of other people from Love Bundles, uh, the adoption agency that they use, who also adopted Vietnamese babies so that she could have someone else to talk with about the experience as she got older and, and mm-hmm. things like that. And then even within race, adoptions um, are much more common to be open adoptions now, mm-hmm. you know, so um, are there still closed adoptions? Yes. So there are still some people that um, for whatever reason, sometimes that that's the requirement of the birth parents. So of the birth mm-hmm. mother or the birth parents of like, I don't want to be contact. Like I'm only doing this. If you don't know where I am, the agency doesn't know where I am. I don't want anything to do with this. And so that's, Um, one reason that they may be closed on that end. And so because of that, parents may be tempted to not tell the kid because that's so painful to know that your birth parent doesn't ever want to hear from you. Um, But it's like a personal family choice thing. I would say you're right, though, that it's much more uncommon and that it's very likely that if Claudia knew anyone else who was adopted now, if this took place now, her adopted friend at Stony Brook Middle School would be like, there's no way they wouldn't tell you, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. because you're yeah. absolutely right. that The norm is now open adoption as opposed to closed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But I do think that this was definitely a big trope when we were kids still and a plot of sitcoms and other things as well. The other thing that, you know, we've talked before about um, Claudia, like what's going on with Claudia with her underachieving and that my running hypothesis has been attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, not a learning disability for a bunch of reasons we've, we've talked about previously. 
her like over focus on this as the solution to her problem and getting like really only paying attention to the data that support the idea that she's adopted and not paying attention to all of this disconfirming data that mm. she sees really speaks to ADHD to me. Mm. Like she's down a rabbit hole and Stacy's like, I don't know. Are, are you sure? And like, she's like a very sweet friend. Cause Scotty's like, no, I'm totally sure. And she's like, okay. Like she kind of is like, I'll, I'll go along with you then. Um, but that like narrow over-focus um, in this area where she gets to use her like Nancy Drew skills mm-hmm. and, you know, make up a plan to talk to the person at the bank about the safe deposit t- box and go interview her pediatrician and <laughs> do all of these things to try to get the data. Bust um, out the microfiche. Seems, seems pretty <laughs> ADHD. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good memories of microfiche in the library for me. I sort of missed it. It's, yeah. <laughs> did you, did you have that reaction, Anne? Yeah, I was like, I could picture myself kind of like scrolling through the magnified yeah. newspaper looking for something. Yeah. It also felt special. Yeah. Like, ooh, I get to see the really old thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Did, have you ever, did they have that in college still, Emily, when you were? Uh, no, all the newspapers were digitized by the time <laughs> I was in college. Yeah. No, um, I had to archives. look at my speech to do, to do my senior honors thesis at Berkeley. Yeah. I had to read a bunch of scientific papers on microfiche. I did not to do my senior honors thesis at UCSD. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, but I do, you know, in the beginning of the book, Claudia kind of talks about how she is like learning about uh, biology Mm-hmm. And how she doesn't, she's like, what's the point of this? This is dumb. Like, this doesn't make sense. I really relate to that. Like, <laughs> as, you know, someone who did, I did fine at school, but did I enjoy it and the process of learning? Not really. Like, I think I also was very just like, I'd rather just be hyper-focused on the things I like to do. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't always make sense of like, you know, when she got stuck on the like, the species thing mm-hmm. mm, oh, that that the, the singular and the plural are both species yeah it's like, like that's fish like, yeah, yeah that's like something i feel like i would have done um <laughs> i get very stuck on the on the big picture and mm-hmm. if the details if i can't like understand like the the big picture or their concept and the and the like the details don't necessarily ladder up to it Mm-hmm. I can't process it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, like science and like abstract things were really hard for me to learn. You know, it's mm-hmm. interesting because I feel like one reading of that of Claudia's like rumination on biology is that right. It's like about mm-hmm. her own like kind of articulating the experience of what Esme has di- you know diagnosed her as having a, a ADHD. Right. It sort of like gives life to that diagnosis. But uh, there's another Pro- way. Provisional. Original diagnosis. Excuse me. Assessment? <laughs> I'm just, I'm not 100% convinced yet. Okay. Go ahead. Whatever. Um, so one way of reading that scene is that it's a, um, it's evidence for this provisional diagnosis. <laughs> but another way that's re- I think was so fascinating is her critique of the re- repeat of an experiment that you already know the outcome of is like mm-hmm. an intervention in 
like the knowledge making practices of science, right? She's like, what if if like part of what doing science is is this experiment, but we're doing this thing where we already know the outcome, then we're not making knowledge, right? Like this is not mm -hmm. a knowledge producing act that we're engaging in. It's just right. a it's repetition of some. Yeah, I was like, whoa, Claudia's an epistemologist, and she didn't even know it. <laughs> so are you, Anne? <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a champion skier, though. Yeah. Well, so we can't, you can't, yeah. we can't all be Claudia. <laughs> so this all comes to a head where she, you know, basically Stacy's like, talk to your parents, dummy. Um, and she has this sort of tearful confession to her parents about how she knows that she's adopted and she gives them all the evidence and they say, oh, sweetheart, the Stony Brook News is there used to be another paper called the uh, Sacramento Union. What was it in Sacramento? It Sacramento <laughs> Gazette. Stony Brook, I know Gazette. Stony Brook Gazette. But before it was just the B, there was also another Sacramento paper, wasn't it there? It was the Union. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it was. It's not the Visalia Times Delta? Yeah, exactly. So it was the Stony Brook Gazette and there's her birth announcement. And that's where Janine's birth announcement was too. And she is not, Risa Chu from Wyoming, who's this person that she's decided was this family that came to Wyoming to have a baby and and leave it, leave her with the Kishis. Um, so, you know, and then, of course, she gets a picture of Mimi when Mimi's 12 and they look almost identical. And that ooh, that part made me cry, too, a lot. I cried at that part as well. Yeah. Yeah. So. so yeah, good. So I'm not alone. Um, but I really liked the B plot of this book, which I thought was very realistic. And I also loved the way Anna Martin had Claudia apply her creativity to the problem. So Christie's really worried about Emily Michelle. Um, they knew that she would be language delayed in English for obvious reasons. She didn't come here until she was two. She'd never spoken any English. Um, she was having some adjustment issues, which of course, you know, that, that makes total sense. Um, but she was worried because she'd been rejected from the preschool because she didn't have enough basic skills to be watched with a big group of other children. And, um, she needs a bunch of attention. So it's upsetting David Michael. And one day Claudia's babysitting for her and it's just her. And she's like, Oh, maybe I'll see, see what I can do. See if I can teach her some colors or see if I can teach her some shapes and, you know, just pulls out a bunch of paper and starts playing with her in very, you know, I think back to last week when we had Whitney on like very developmentally appropriate ways for the tasks that she's not able to achieve and um, has sort of an innate understanding of positive reinforcement, right? She's immediately like, great, good girl. And Emily's so excited that she's getting this praise. Um, and she could tell from Claudia's like big happy face that she's doing something right. And then Claudia continues to work with her and really helps her improve and, and, get some skill up. And I'm, I sort of picture, you know, Emily Michelle is joining this giant family and everything's sort of swirling around her. And yeah, Nanny's there to be a consistent adult, but it's a lot. And so I can imagine needing that kind of set sort of tutoring time from Claudia and that connection between Claudia and Emily Michelle is really sweet. And I, I, I thought all of that was written really well and not as much of a stretch as the 
sort of adoption metaphor. I don't know how what you you all thought of those scenes. I mean, I really, I really like them because, again, this kind of reminded me of me about how she thought of to like make these shapes and stuff. It's kind of it's just like creative problem solving, mm-hmm. um, and that's basically what I do for my job. Mm-hmm. Is think of other ways to do something. Um, mm-hmm. So I thought that was really cool that she was able to like that Claudia thinks that way. Yeah. Um, also, I I feel like nowhere in the book was it did Anna Martin kind of talk about how they're both Asian. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was interesting. Like, mm-hmm. it's like she didn't want to go there. But mm-hmm. obviously, it, it kind of is like, well, you know, Claudia's Asian. <laughs> Emily's mm-hmm. Asian in a town full of mostly white people, mm-hmm. except for Rick Chow and Timisu. Oh yeah, Timmy Shu just showed up, yeah, right? Yeah. He's this is his first this is yeah. his debut of this another debut. Asian family comes to yep. Stony Brook, joins mm-hmm. the pressures. Um, so now there's like three families. Yeah. Um, plus Emily, Emily Michelle. Plus Emily. Yeah. So there's like, you know, maybe fifteen Asian people. <laughs> Great math. Yeah. Yeah, that is funny too, because she does like when she's going on her uh like adoption rabbit hole she speculates about whether she's even japanese Mm -hmm. claudia does right and so you'd think that that would be a moment where she might see a deeper affinity with emily michelle where she'd be like maybe i'm vietnamese (laughs) like or Mm -hmm. but like she doesn't you're right she doesn't even touch that that line of similarity Mm -hmm. there right she says like well i am asian like i can't deny that when she's looking for her birth parents so she's assuming that it's not you know Mr. and Mrs. Williams or whatever. Mm -hmm, Um, But then she's wondering if maybe she's half Asian. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that one line. Let me get to it. Okay. Because I hate the Kindle. So this is Claudia. She says, I began to compare myself to Emily Michelle. She didn't look like anyone in her family and neither did I. You have a problem with this line, Anne? Well, obviously Emily Michelle doesn't (laughs) look like her family because she's adopted and she's Asian and the Watson Brewers are white. <laughs> so I just thought that was pretty hilarious. Like that is a, a an interesting statement that Anna Martin kind of snuck in there when mm-hmm. it makes zero sense. Mm-hmm. I almost, I wonder if it's in the other direction um, too. That, like, I agree with you that it's funny and that Claudia is stating like a very obvious thing for Emily Michelle and maybe a more subtly uh, obvious thing mm-hmm. for her own family. Um, I'm wondering about Anna Martin's intent um, to sort of maybe she's not signposting it, but sort of subtly undermine some of the sweeping racism that people feel towards Asian people, you know, a very common thing and that we make a trope out of is, you know, they, uh, I don't know, they all look alike, right. For ver- various racial groups. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I wonder if this is a, uh, and maybe I'm giving too much credit, but like, that's a way, you know, Claudia is like, I obviously don't look like anyone in my family in this way that maybe a white person would think all the Kishis look alike, but she can see that Janine and her dad look exactly alike and she doesn't look like anybody else. And Anna Martin's sort of elevating that perspective of mm-hmm. Claudia's of how different they all look. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I think you might be giving her too much credit. <laughs> I know. I'm just, didn't, didn't, didn't say this is definitely it. Let's be yeah. clear. Yeah. I just, you know, that, I think that that's a, that is a message you're getting there though, is that Claudia, look, Claudia feels like she looks very different. And the parents, the parents support that when like, look, I know 
Janine and I look a lot alike, but have you seen pictures of Mimi when she was your age? It's uncanny. You know, so her parents also support the idea that she doesn't look like, like anyone in the same way. Yeah. But I think again, that's like the difference between the kind of version of like racial representation that we get in this like late eighties, early nineties, rosy BSC universe, as opposed mm-hmm. to like how we talk now about racial justice or a- anti-racism, right. That like, mm-hmm. um, not all Asian people look alike. C is different than right. th- is a different totally. kind of like, um, you know, rectific- rectificatory approach to Ooh. racism than like, um, rectificatory. than like, uh, one where you know she where claudia acknowledges that like her and emily michelle are both asian right like but but so i don't know yeah right or even interrogates that further and thinks about the difference between being like a second generation japanese american versus an adopted vietnamese yeah vietnamese person like yeah yeah Yeah. so i have a a funny story that's kind of (laughs) related but also tangential so i have Two friends, I'll, I'll protect their identity. But we we're, this is like years ago, like 10 years ago. We were over, Mike and I were over at the house for, for dinner. And there's this, there was this website, it probably still exists, where you basically, it shows different Asian people. And you have to say if they're Chinese, Korean, or Japanese. Mm. Okay, so. Yeah, I remember this website. This was, and it was initially popular among Asian people, right? Among it was Asian like to, it was like to show that you could like that you're, you're good. Like it wasn't for white people. No, no, no. <laughs> it was it was yeah. for Asian people. Yeah, but then of course white yeah. people. You know. It gets ruined by us. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. So you know we're playing it, and I was like, oh, you know, I got like I don't know, like twelve out of fifteen right or something. Yeah. And then my friend's husband goes, "Hey, this guy looks like our neighbor." And my friend's like, oh, my God, stop. You're being so racist right now. He's like, no, really, this looks like our neighbor. And she's like, no, seriously, Anne's here. Like, this is, like, super racist. And she gets, she takes, she looks, and she's like, wait, that is our neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) And then they, like, pulled up. I was like, wait, what? Then they pulled up his Facebook profile. And I was like, wait, that is the same guy. (laughs) That's so funny. That's amazing. It was really funny because, like, Oh my God, you're being so racist. Like, what she's are you like saying? so embarrassed. Yeah. She was like so embarrassed. She was like, wait, that is our neighbor. <laughs> it was really funny. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. But I feel like that's the right, the appropriate reaction is to assume that someone's being racist when they're Absolutely. not rather than the other way around. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. In light we of our white supremacist that. society. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh That's God. so funny. Such a good story. It was really funny. You said you had two stories. No, that's just that. Oh, that, oh, it was just two friends. Sorry. Two friends. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So yeah, that's, those are my basic things. I also, my last thing is that, um, there's another good psychology line in this book. Dawn, as you noted, is being less of a bitch. Claudia talks to the BSC about it. And then Don says, worrying doesn't solve problems, which is very accurate. Very Something accurate. That, that I, as a white California friend, have said to my Japanese best friend many times. Yeah. I say that to other people often, but I often fail to deploy my own advice in my own. Do you, oh, just, yes. start, do you just start singing, don't worry, be happy? <laughs> no, but I should start. <laughs> Or How annoying would that be? Hakuna Matata. <laughs> yeah. Hakuna Matata. 
<laughs> Emily, what did you notice in this book? Um, the only thing that I really noticed was that Janine uh, wins an award in a high school, but from the community college, which I found confusing. Um, it says, hold on, let me pull up this this line. Um, the vice principal is handing out awards at this uh, ceremony that sends Claudia into this tailspin. And she says, now I am proud. No, I am honored to present the final award. It's a very special award and has been granted only once before. That was 10 years ago to a senior. This time it will be presented to a junior as the most accomplished science student at the community college, where the student has been taking classes for two years, in addition to her classes here at the high school. So is this an award from the college or from or that the high school has decided that her performance at the college is excellent? I'm confused about who's giving the award, first of all. Well, it's at the high school, so I feel like it must be from the high school. But how would they know that she's like this most accomplished student? Because they'd get the transcripts back. She's getting but is she the most accomplished classes. high school student taking college classes or she, is she the most accomplished college student? And like, how do we render accomplishment? (laughs) Who's measuring it? And what are the criteria? This award is suspicious. Anne's Anne's just nodding. (laughs) This is a a plot hole. (laughs) (laughs) Who is awarding this award? Um, But anyway, that made me think about high school students taking college classes. And I did a quick uh, Google search and I found an article in some like education journal that um, was marking like this really this interesting trend that I found actually kind of surprising, given what I know about like the landscape of college admissions. But there's been like a really, really um, sharp rise in rates of high school students taking college classes um, in over the last 20 years, something like a 68 percent increase from 2000 to like 2015. And in places like Texas, it's like a even it's like a 700% increase from like 2000 to 2011 or something like that, which I think 700%. is 700%. Yeah. Or That's over crazy. 700%. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting in two different ways. One is that that period has been marked by a general kind of disinvestment in public education in general mm-hmm. across the board and like a huge rise in tuition um, and like what we often talk about as the neoliberalization of the university, which is the like sort of expansion of the administrative class of the university and um, kind of like austerity in, in other sections of it, right. That like tenure positions are sort of evaporating most of like a lot of classes in public universities are taught by adjuncts. So the adjunctification Mm -hmm. of the, you know, um, faculty and then the like sharp hike in tuition there, it's like, where does that money go? It's not going to pay teachers. It's going to pay administrators. It's going to support sports and all this kind of stuff. So on the one hand, like college is more expensive than ever and like also harder to get into than ever. Like, I don't think I could get mm-hmm. into the UCs now, <laughs> but I did, you know, in All 2006. Three of us, University of California diplomas would be SOL. I yeah, feel like it. we're like so boring and normal. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who's um, a college counselor at a public high school, I mean, a private high school in New York, and 
the stories she tells about how hard it is for students to get into college are just wild. Um, so I was kind of surprised to see that tick because you have to like, you know, the, the rules for taking classes at community college are different than like applying to a four-year university and enrolling, but there's still kind of like a threshold for application. And increasingly some community colleges are looking more like traditional four-year, um, you know, bachelor degree granting institutions in terms of both like the quality of the education that they deliver, the like, um, structure of degree programs, like all that kind of thing. So I, it was kind of an interesting stat to me, which I think on the one hand reflects the the neoliberalization of the university, right? Like instead of investing in public, ed- instead of spending money on public high schools, let's just have students pay tuition and get them the education they need at the co- community college instead, which is kind of sad. But like in that right. sense, in that sense, it makes sense. But I was surprised in light of like how competitive kind of universities are to see that stat. So it, on the one hand, it, it reflected a, a, a trend that is um, well-documented and there's a lot of kind of critical engagement with. But on the other hand, I was also surprised kind of given that that landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it also, um, it makes Janine less, but far less special, right? Like this is yes. a huge signifier in the BSc universe. Yes. that she's doing Genius this. It's status. Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mean the same thing that it means now. I, I'm also, what you said was really interesting to me because I think when it, I'm in the little bit of a fog of um, entitled parenthood right now, right? So we're toward the downswing of the COVID pandemic and there's this whole um, rather vitriolic debate about opening the public schools and people are getting really nasty on the side of open now. And there's a lot of vilification of the public school system without acknowledging this, you know, enormous shrinkage of funding that has happened over the last, not just recently, right. But last two decades um, that you cite. And so it's just another interesting thing to me. I really appreciate your perspective in bringing it up as, you know, titling it the neoliberalization of the university, because I think it often gets, you know, the schools themselves get scapegoated Mm -hmm. of like, well, they're, you know, they're abdicating their duty to teach my child advanced math, like she or he or they have to go to the community college because they're not offering good enough offerings at the school. It's like, with what money? Like they have, like, what are you talking about? They can't have infinity teachers that can teach you know, and it's so anyway. fucked too because, like, probably when they send their their kid to a community college to take a class, it's like an underpaid adjunct teaching right. a three hundred student lecture that, like, just fucking pay high school teachers more. They that would be a yeah. better class. That would be a better class. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's frustrating. Cool. Oh, I'm glad you, t- I'm glad you took us there. That was a, that was not a thing I paid attention to in this book. And I think it's a interesting thing to think about. Well, you know what? Worrying doesn't solve problems as me. So. <laughs> <laughs> and help us. <laughs> okay. What do we got here? Well, Asian people, <laughs> Asian people. There's, um, Oh, well, I guess like, you know, there are, of course, Claudia, I related to a lot as a kid for the, all the obvious reasons. But, mm-hmm. you know, the beginning of the book with all the Janine stuff, it did remind me 
of my older brother and how similar those my experiences were. Um, like literally, like you know, it. My parents, to their credit, never really gave my brother any more special attention just because he was excelled more academically than me. Mm-hmm. It was they never really. I I honestly can't remember a time when they like gushed about him, or I felt like, uh, like I might be adopted. I don't know. Am I even Asian? Like, do I have to go to love bundles? Like, <laughs> am I even Japanese? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm Vietnamese. <laughs> yeah, there's never a point where I felt that way. Um, Does your brother listen funny. to our podcast? No, he doesn't. Okay, so we can talk shit about him if we need to. Sure, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> No, I mean, and my brother never like called it over. I mean, he's also six years older than me, so it'd be a little, it's a little bit different, you know, because I was like mm-hmm. such a kid compared to him. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it was just I was thinking about like, yeah, like I remember like when that teacher came up to Claudia and was just like, "Oh, you're you're Janine's sister." Like, I mm-hmm. literally got that, even though he's <gasps> six years older than me, Emily. Like in high school, like all the time, like. <laughs> Think about yeah. it. Like six years after <laughs> your brother had this teacher, they're like, oh, oh, you're Scott's sister? Yeah. And they'd also be like, oh, your brother gave the best graduation speech I've ever heard. Or it was like literally. Like, literally all... everyone. I I heard at least 10 people say that to you. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, like, yeah Aaron yeah, used to get so that me. a lot. But I think in large part because we were so close together and we look a lot alike. So people people used to call. I we She had teachers like mix up her name like call her emily mm-hmm. instead of call her Aaron, mm-hmm. which she used to get very very upset about yeah. um but but she but we are also very similarly matched academically so i think mm-hmm. there wasn't there was less of like a it wasn't a comparison or like a, a expectations that were she was then like afraid of not meeting mm-hmm. or something like that but yeah, it is it like, is funny i was like that must have sucked i'm sorry no but it's you know it's i don't think the teachers expected me to necessarily be like my brother but i definitely was like oh i'm not gonna i'm not like my brother yeah. like I, i'm not gonna be like him you know you're like i just want to let you know right now <laughs> yeah you're or gonna like, get something re- different <laughs> it, it was more like i'm never gonna speak in class so don't expect that from me <laughs> it's more like that i'm gonna sit in the back of the class and just pretend i'm not here um but also even to the point where there was like oh like a journalist wants to write about Janine for an article like literally there was like a page article in my brother in the sacramento Bee because there were sidetracks in the sacramento Bee or the sacramento union the b the b wow yeah yeah where they featured like you know outstanding teams basically mm-hmm. uh, so i was like oh yep that happened to me too you know it's, it's just but again I just, you know, hit the slopes and I felt, felt better about myself. <laughs> Back to other stuff you noticed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I also like Claudia's money fantasy because mm-hmm. Janine's like award was $250, mm-hmm. which I looked up. It would have been $500 today. Ooh. Wait, I have a question for you. So at that time, at that in that moment, Claudia says she gets like, she's like surprised that Janine gets to keep it. Mm hmm. Which I thought was interesting. Like, what would be the other option that, like, I think meaning like she assumed her parents were just going to yeah. take it and put it in a in an account. 
Like oh. not letting Janine make the decision. Like it's clearly academic money and like that she would assume that they would make her put it in savings for college. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I That's what she said. It's hers in italics. I, I think that's what she meant. Like it's hers to decide about. Okay. I wasn't sure. Did you find the section, Anne? Because I have it if you didn't. Yeah. I'm, I'm touching, flipping the pages of my Kindle one by one. Okay. It's <laughs> in chapter four. Okay. <laughs> it's, in, it's like the fourth page of chapter four. Okay. So, okay. So she said she'd buy the sweater she really wants. And she said she would also buy some. I'm sorry. You're not going to read the description of that sweater. Okay. Do want, I don't know. I just don't read the whole thing. Okay. Hang on. Let me start over. Yeah. Cause if you skip this sweater, that's like a, this is like a classically Claudia okay. sweater. It's not just a sweater. It's true. Okay. Well, if I were handed a check for $250, I'd rent a Bel Air's department store and buy this really neat day glow green sweater with charms knitted into it that I'd seen on sale. See? Yeah. That sounds like a dry clean only sweater. Yeah. Then I'd go to the art store and buy some new oil paints, a good supply of brushes, and this great silk screening set I've had my eye on. And after that, if any money was left over, I hit the candy store in a bad way. Ooh. Baby Ruth bars, Three Musketeers bars, M&M's, Plain, and Peanut, Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Oh, the possibilities were mind-boggling. Janine was so lucky. So good. So I kind of did some math. And I actually think she would be able to afford all those things, the $250. Yeah. Because I was like, okay, like, I did, like, you know, oil paints. Now a set of 10 would be, like, 80 to 100. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, brushes could be, you know, who knows how many brushes she needs, but you know, maybe fifty to a hundred. Um, the silk screen set could be anywhere. It could be really cheap, to like of like fifty dollars to like really good to like five hundred dollars, and then you know, candy ain't that expensive. So yeah, can I tell you guys it. an anecdote about oil paint? Mm-hmm. Uh, my friends have been doing this thing where they Venmo me a dollar to ruin something for someone else, like something that they love. So I'll do research on it and find out why it sucks. And usually it's because of like bad labor practices or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a dark little hobby, Emily. I'm very good at it. I can ruin almost anything. (laughs) Um, But one of my friends is a painter. And so I ruined uh, paint for him there's a very dark nazi history to the mass production of paint (laughs) of acrylic paints and oil paints (laughs) not a fun anecdote okay moving on i feel like that's like your new podcast if our listeners want you to ruin something for them yeah they drop us an email or yeah you have to venmo me five dollars that's how you do it i'm not gonna do it for free hello Yeah, I, I like this idea as just like Emily's side hustle in case yeah. the whole like PhD thing doesn't work out. Yeah. She just like people just Venmo her one dollar. So let's think about this. How much okay. How I, many need, I need to up my rates, honestly. Yeah. Five, I have to do a lot of I have to do a lot of research to ruin them effectively. So it's like not I a really like good ratio of time to yeah. money. A dollar. Yeah. yeah. I have to ruin brunch this weekend <laughs> for someone. <laughs> I'm going to do that after oh we God. finish recording. <laughs> it's like, how do you ruin avocado toast? You oh, that's easy. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk um, about hipsters. All right. Don't give it all away for free, Emily. Okay. 
And then the last thing I want to touch on was when uh, Claudia was introducing Russ and Peaches mm. in the beginning. And she you mean says, you and Micah? Yeah, me and Micah. <laughs> so Peaches and Russ are my aunt and uncle. Peaches is my mom's sister. I love them. They are they are totally cool and funny. Real characters. Russ is American. I mean, he's not Japanese. Mm-hmm. Just say he's white. Yeah. So yeah. this is so uh we're recording this on March 20th. And this week there were the shootings in Atlanta with eight victims and six of those were were Asian women. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't coming out for a few weeks and hopefully this is still relevant this you know three weeks. It will sadly it will still be relevant. Yes. Um yeah. but you know it was. It's been interesting this week. Just some conversations I've been having with friends who are not Asian, and I have one friend who I was talking about this with, and she said something like, "She said the same thing." She's like, "Well, I just don't. You know, I just have never thought of you as Asian. I just thought of you as American." Mm. And I kind of had to like rewind and be like, "Okay." And kindly kind of tell her why that statement was wrong and how it's, you know, perpetuates this idea of what American is. Mm -hmm. It's like you're associating white qualities and characteristics with being American, you know. Mm -hmm. And she just like was like, oh, my God, you're totally right. I never even thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it is important to have these conversations with people. Um, I also think it's interesting that. For a lot, a lot of my friends, I have Asian friends, a lot of them, but and a lot of my friends are also white. And I know with a lot of those white friends, I am I am probably one of their only minority friends, mm-hmm. if not the only Asian friend they have. Mm-hmm. And I will say, like, uh, I would say only two of my friends have even like acknowledged this to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say like no one else has, mm. which I found really surprising, mm-hmm. um, knowing that I am probably one of their only Asian friends. Mm-hmm. And this is probably the one time in their history or our history as like kind of adults where this kind of crime has taken place against Asian Americans, especially Asian women. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just want to tell any listeners out there, if you have a friend who is Asian, that you should acknowledge it. And even mm-hmm. if it's awkward, because I guarantee you that that friend is thinking about it and wondering why you haven't said anything. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. so. It's fair. Well, and it's also, it's telling that this book is 30 years old and we see this as sort of the, the passive way. And we've seen this before. I think Stacy also called somebody American, meaning white, um, mm-hmm. and, but that you're literally having the same conversation 31 years mm-hmm. later. It's like, you know, oftentimes we talk about the way things are really outdated, like the use of the R word and Christy and the secret of Susan, but then there's other things that have not changed enough. Well, I think that's um, another like piece of evidence that complicates your generous reading of what Anna Martin's <laughs> up to in terms of like sure. racial justice in this book, right? That like, she's doing that abstract like treating it as this like abstract 
thing that we just all want to be neutral about, right? And it's like, okay, no, you can't. This is not this is not how it works. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's interesting. It's also I think with with Claudia, especially having so, being so close with Mimi, mm-hmm. it's interesting that she's not more. I guess Anna Martin didn't write before. She's actually more in touch with her with her Japanese culture in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Mimi was in well the Babysitters Club Netflix series did put her in the internment camps and they kind of touched on mm-hmm. that. Mimi in this, in the BSC book universe was not. Right. No, yeah. she was yeah. still in Japan. She was still yeah. in Japan. But, you know, being, being basically raised by someone who was born and raised in Japan, like her parents are, were born, were they born here? Claudia's parents? We've gone back and forth about this. I yeah. think that there's, I, like unevenness in how it gets mm-hmm. treated i think there might that might be mm-hmm. one of the like background inconsistencies but i'm not i can't remember at the moment yeah but so that's my little spiel the bsc that. wiki the bsc wiki says the both mr and mrs kishi left japan for the u.s when they were very young mm. okay so we're like moved here as children and now now mr kishi is a a partner in an investment firm Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so basically, I was like, okay, so they're like American rich. dream, right? The Kishis yeah. are like wealthy. If he's well, a I partner, head librarian makes much money. No, but Mr. Kishi have plenty does. of librarian listeners. What do you think the head librarian made in 1990? Everyone, what no. does a librarian make now? Uh, depends on where you are, but not enough. I'll tell you that. Not I was enough. Just gonna say not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Was there any other yeah. candy, Annie, other than this mystery, this uh, dream list? Okay, so there was ring dings, Doritos, mini chocolate bars, and pretzels. Mm. Mini chocolate bars, like one of those variety packs where you get stuck with the Mr. Good Bar. Yeah, no, yeah. no one likes. Have we had a Mr. Good Bar, Emily? I have, yes. <laughs> okay. Please do not send them to me. <laughs> I will not be eating them on the podcast. <laughs> So tally wise, um, the one social justice one I had was exactly what you said about referring to Russ as American. Um, Not a ton, but the, you know, I feel like the top five that we're seeing again and again are shy, sensitive, health food, individual and sophisticated. And those are the only ones that Claudia mentions. She does not describe. She does not describe her own eyes as almond shaped. (laughs) She has before, but she did not this time. And she does not refer to herself as exotic. So interesting. Yep. Okay. Weirdest lines. We were talking before we started recording how there weren't a lot of like one liners in this book. Yeah. yeah. I, I I wrote down two um that are not that great. One was just she describes Janine's award as her 10 millionth award. And I just thought that was funny and <laughs> like a, a reasonable, yeah. as reasonable we, estimate. Esme's also had that many awards, by the way. I have not had 10 million awards. Okay, like uh, 8 million. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I peaked at 18. I haven't gotten awards since then. <laughs> like, You're so full of shit. There's no way that's true. <laughs> you have definitely gotten an award since then. Yeah, you never got an award for like best graduate student paper or like something like that. No, um, I've gotten teaching awards. I haven't gotten actual. Again, I also barely got my PhD, so I didn't. I didn't have awards for my actual academic uh, scholarly work. No, 
Um, teaching <laughs> teaching scholarly parts. work. You know what I mean. Like the stuff that programs teach you to value. Neoliberalism. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, also, when she's trying to decide whether or not she's adopted, she's going through, you know, if her her birth parents are from like Hawaii or California, and then maybe their last name wasn't Ho at all. Maybe it was Hoshikawa or Hoshino. So I wrote Hoshikawa or Hoshino down. <laughs> I liked those like. And why are like, those two names like so? Why does she make them so similar? I yeah, I don't know. She's just, um, you know, and then she throws Yamaguchi in there too. So mm-hmm. um, I don't know when Christy was skating, but I thought that was funny. But, but I wrote I Hoshikawa was, or Hoshino. Yeah. Hoshino is a, a last name I've actually never heard of. Yeah, I mm. wasn't clear that they were real. True. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, those, that seems appropriate for the appropriate reflection of our discussion of race in this book mm-hmm. and did you have um, others yeah it's not really in line but it's like who francie ledbetter because <laughs> it reminded me i was like ledbetter ledbetter i was like oh it's that pearl jam song yellow ledbetter yeah so anyway <laughs> isn't okay. that the name of the woman where the the equal pay act is named after lily ledbetter oh i like how it comes full circle mm-hmm. it's relevant <laughs> It's relevant. I'm happy to name our episode after names in the book, whether made up or real. All right. Which one do you want to go with then, Emily? It sounds like you don't have your own to contribute. I have nothing to contribute. So you choose. Can we make up a line like like Hoshikawa Ledbetter? Oh, my God. No. Um, I don't have a preference between the two. Okay. So let's go with. I have no idea. None of these are very good. Yeah. <laughs> should I just like, should we just like randomly pick, pick a line and just go with it? Like as we close your eyes, like flip through the book, I'll say stop. And then you say right page, left page. And then you point. Really? And just, this is what we're going to do? Yeah. <laughs> what do you pick on just now? Let's just go with Hoshikawa or Hoshino. Okay, okay. great. What are we pizza toast like to? That's relevant to? Let's pizza toast to nurturing Claudius skiing abilities even though they're never in the books great okay <laughs> also claudia has high hopes for bart and christy i thought that you would have been excited about that Emily. i was yeah <laughs> hot 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 um <laughs> is bart gonna be in season two of the show <laughs> i sure hope so <laughs> okay it'll be played by a child though so throw down crandall i know i wish it was like um a, a proper teen show where, where want- the teenagers are played by adults so that I could have a crush on him. Well, maybe everyone on the show can be like 13, except for Bart. They can cast like a, they can cast like a 30, 30 year old. That yeah. would be great, honestly. Just to make Emily feel less weird and creepy. I'm still going to call him hot, so just be prepared for that. Um, <laughs> a pizza toast to Claudia's skiing ability. <laughs> Claudia's pizza toast to Claudia's skiing abilities. Yay, downhill skiing. This episode of Stuck in Stony Brook is now adjourned. <laughs> Thank you to Anna Martin for everything. Stuck in Stony Brook is edited by Emily Crandall. Theme song written and recorded by Gary Schaller, performed by the band Kid Kit. You can follow us on Instagram at Stuck in Stony Brook or find us on our website, stuckinstonybrook.com. Need some books that we mentioned? Buy them from our bookshop and support both a local independent bookstore and your favorite series literature analysis podcast. Find us at bookshop.org slash shop slash stuck in Stony Brook. 
Lastly, if you're feeling deeply generous and you want to rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts, that would be super helpful. You're the best friends a girl could ask for. <laughs>